0: Welcome to Managing Marketing. And uh, today I'm sitting down and having a chat with Ben Tolley, who is a partner at Clarity, Probably uh, one of the big shakers and movers in the advertising industry at the moment because of some uh, significant deals that have gone on. So welcome, Ben.
1: Yeah, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Look,
0: um, and and thank you for making the time because uh, there's been some great headlines in the past, uh, well, let's say 12 months with uh, the industry looking at mergers and acquisitions, and that's our core business, isn't it, of Clarity?
1: That's right, yeah. I mean, we uh, we specialise in advising um, mid-market companies, so companies valued up to, uh, you know, a couple of uh, hundred million dollars uh, on mergers and acquisitions, ma- mainly focused around uh, advising people on selling businesses. And um, the agency land is a, is a very kind of big part of, of what we focus on. Where. are we're technology and media focused as a firm and, you know, there's a lot of activity in the agency space.
0: And and look, you know, um, just to put it into context for people, I'll just mention um, it was Adam and Eve being acquired by DDB in the uh-huh. UK and the monkeys being acquired by Accenture here would probably be the two... High-profile um, acquisitions deals that uh, Clarity were involved in for the advertising industry. Yeah, that's I'm right. I'm sure we, there's more, but yeah, yeah just to put that into context. Yeah,
1: and we've we've worked on the uh, on the buy side as well with um, with people like uh, Dentsu and Havas acquiring them agency businesses um, in the um, in the UK. Uh, so we're UK HQ'd as a business, and um, our US partners in the. You know, interesting for this conversation, uh, our US partners advised on the sale of Resource Amarati, oh, yeah. um into IBM Interactive Experience. So, which is a very similar type of you know rationale in a way to the you know the monkeys Accenture transaction.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that because I know um, you did a uh, an interview recently in the UK where you were talking about the cultural, you know, the the culture between the traditional consulting firms and advertising, which, you know, 20 years ago uh, in advertising, I was approached by a consulting firm to come and work there. And I said no, because I just didn't see me personally fitting into that culture. But do you think that the what's happened in, say, the last 10 to 20 years that makes consulting firms seriously look at agencies as a business opportunity where there won't be a cultural problem?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a big question. I think uh, in in regards to the you know the the commentary around around the culture clash, um, you know it, it does feel a little bit to me like um, you know the uh, the James Bond DB five with the, the little switch on the dashboard with the smoke that yeah, comes yeah. out the back. You know, <laughs> bit of a smoke uh, screen. It's a yeah. bit of a smoke. It's a bit of a smoke screen. I mean, I, you know, and that's not to say that there's nothing in it, but. Um, uh, you know, and I obviously have enormous respect for people like, you know, Martin Sorrell and, you know, Mark Reed came out saying a very sort of similar uh, type of thing the other day. So these are, you know, super smart, accomplished people. Um, and um, and there is something in it that's worth talking about. But I think the first thing when you hear people uh, reacting to deals like, um, you know, the monkeys and karma rama as well uh, and Accenture, um, and, they, and they talk about culture, I think the first thing to sort of step back and think about is, what am I not hearing? Mm. So these are very, very bright people, you know, Martin Sorrell, Mark Rees, uh, and they're saying hmm, bit of a sort of culture clash. I can see that being a problem there. So what they're not saying is that the service offering that they're able to you know, deliver mm. in combination is unattractive. Or,
0: or perhaps the, it's superior to well, what's well, already in the marketplace. Well, well, well exactly.
1: <laughs> so I think that's the first thing on this is like, you know, th- these are very smart guys and this is the most negative, plausible thing that they can yeah. come up with.
0: And uh, look, I, th- I, th- I think they do it because it goes ben, to the core of what agencies do, which is they see themselves purely as an engine of creativity, for whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've always had a problem, even when I worked in a creative department, I had a problem with being called the creatives, yeah. because you know, creativity is a human trait, not just a select few. But um, I think it's because it goes to the core of that. I'll, I'll just share with you, I had uh, four teams, young teams, But uh, if someone was walking around the office, they would have seen eight people playing hacky sack, doing the quiz in the newspaper, um, just playing on surfing the internet. And uh, a couple of times people said to me, why aren't your teams working? And I said, well, they are working, (laughs) right? Um, Because uh, that's not defined in traditional businesses. As work, you know, if it was an accounting firm or a uh, or a consulting firm, that would that's not what people perceive as being work.
1: Yeah, well, I guess, I guess it's uh, you know, um, what what do you do uh, whilst you're thinking? Um, mm. And uh, in a creative agency business, that might be uh, you know, table football or uh, table tennis or um, yeah, foosball you know, an un- or un- an unplugged electric yeah. guitar. Um, and tradi-
0: or, or a plugged-in one and, and everyone and else is complaining. In yeah, exactly.
1: And, and then traditionally in the consultancy world, you know, that's a Newton's cradle, isn't it? But yeah. at the end of the day, what are they all doing? They're all thinking. <laughs>
0: Except that there's um, the other problem, and the problem that the advertising industry has had is the way they bill for that time because they're hopeless at keeping um, time. You know, my lawyer bills in six-minute increments, my accountant bills in 15-minute increments, Uh, you hear about consulting firms where people are held to account for their billable hours, and yet I know my art director used to come and get my time sheets at the end of the month to try and work out what he'd been doing for the last 30 days. It's a totally different culture as far as the discipline of business, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think, um, uh,
0: and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that your point before is wrong. I'm just want to explore this reason why this is a held up as being the big hurdle that has to be overcome.
1: Okay. Well, I, I think when you, I mean, I, so there, there is something in the points uh, around culture, um, but um, uh, you know, nobody said when WPP bought TNS. Oh, mm. um, you know, these are. A bunch of qualitative qualitative uh, research guys who you know kind of wear suits and um you know are very kind of like nerdy and data driven how's that possibly going to work because you're an advertising group and you have all these great creatives uh, sort of sitting around playing guitar you know dreaming up big consumer marketing ideas and the reality is that um you know, groups like, you know, WPP or any, you know, any of the kind of big six agency groups, they don't have a homogenous culture. You know, maybe they have some values. That sit at the core. <laughs> we can all, Perhaps. we can all debate yeah. that. I think, <laughs> I think cash, no, no. cash yeah. is the, yeah, revenue. One of my
0: uh, concerns about holding companies is everyone talks about revenue and no one talks about margin and profit. But mm. you know, I think it's uh, as long as you're making money, you're okay. Well, I, well, I
1: think maybe you know, I think, I think, w- I think, I'm sure WPP are very, very, very focused on sort of cash generation above, yeah. above all else. With uh, you know, an ex accountant at the. Uh, at the helm there. But, um, you know, but the reality is if, if you dig into those, you know, hundreds of, of uh, operating units they have... Um, oh, they would all have their own culture. They've all got their own culture. Yeah. So, and some of them are, you know, very creative and some of them are, you know, kind of pretty sooty. And, um, you know, part of the challenge for the organisation is not stifling the individual cultures um, and but, but finding a way to bring them together and to collaborate for the benefit for the benefit of the clients and in,
0: in perhaps in the same way and, and as you said, you know, bringing a creative unit together with a deeply analytical and uh, problem
1: solving uh, is such a great idea. It's a great. It? It's a great combination, and um, you know, I, I think. Uh, specifically as regards um, Accenture and and their experience in this area. Uh, You know, they they acquired Fjord, the the service design business, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which was originally started out as a European HQ business, but it's it's pretty strong over here now as well. And uh, they acquired that business and have grown it multiple times over. And I would say that's fundamentally, that's a very creatively driven business. Mm. Um, It's... um, you know, I, I wouldn't describe it in any way as a kind of consulting business, and um,
0: it's more. I'd say it's a um, it's a psychologically driven design business. Yeah, because when you look at things like retail design, it's all about understanding human beings and their behaviour, but then how to apply the discipline of design to actually enhance and manage that experience.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, so, look, that's a great example, and it's probably why uh, com- uh, the holding companies like WPP have been out buying the sort of more analytical companies. The trouble is that the weight in the holding company is all about creativity. The money's made in media, and they're buying these analytical companies that I think they often struggle with finding ways to make it pay. Yeah. Whereas one of the things that you have to say about consulting firms is that they've never struggled with making money, have they?
1: Yeah, and I, and I guess uh, the more you're able to you know, provide an end-to-end service covering all aspects of you know, creative ideation through to you know, building the technology, uh, you know, advising on the technology, building the technology... Uh, deploying it, running it for a client all the way through to promoting its use and creative ideation and marketing around that, you have a chance of offering something that's unique or close to unique uh, in the market. And if you've got a proposition that's unique, then that ought to improve your ability to, uh, to price and not be stuck in a commoditized game of everyone can offer broadly A similar thing, Mm. Um, and you know, and there's a bit of a race to the bottom around around the pricing on it. So, you know, I guess that that's that's part of the game.
0: Yeah, one of the um, the, one of the things that was pointed out to me recently is that agencies and consulting firms have very similar uh, ways of billing, don't they? They they basically most of them charge on resource hours.
1: Yeah, I think classic consulting firms. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, I, I, uh, I don't honestly uh, know the, um, you know, the detail around the the model um, for some of the kind of more technology driven systems building, but I, I suspect it's 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 not quite so, uh, you know, hours-based always. No,
0: no, because uh, they actually work on getting kickbacks and rebates and commissions from the <laughs> actual uh, technology vendors. Yeah,
1: there's a reselling component to yeah. that, obviously.
0: I, I had a meeting recently with a consulting firm, and they said to me, oh, you should get into the kickbacks and the commissions, and I go, oh, we don't uh, actually work that way, and they'll go, you'll never make any money, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's the uh, consultancy world's uh, sort of parallel to the media agency world. Exactly. So like yeah, you know, their, don't uh, don't
0: take the money from the... Uh, uh, pretend you're pro- uh, providing total independent a s- a advice at reasonable in the interest cost. <laughs> yeah, Well, in the, uh, providing independent advice in the interest of the client when in actual fact it's driven by how much money you're going to get paid if the deal gets Yeah. Done. Yeah. But that's uh, that's an area that you guys work in, isn't it, is it's related to value, because in a way, uh, things like commissions and, and that are about the value of the deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, our, our model, you know, and our, we're in line with the industry that we operate in is, um, you know, predominantly uh, based around, you know, outcomes with transactions and, you know, values achieved and so on. So it's... Uh, you know it's a heavily skewed to a, a sort of a value based model of charging, mm. um, and uh, yeah, I haven't completed a uh, timesheet in you know kind of 20 years or something like that. Long may that continue. Well, and, and in a way,
0: it makes sense, doesn't it? Because it is all about the value created, you know, the value that someone pays to acquire or, or buy a, another company. Uh, represents the value that it rep- it represents to their business. So, yeah. for you to provide the facilitation or the brokerage of that is represented in that fee.
1: Yeah, and and look, typically, people clients don't want to uh, you know pay on a kind of non contingent, you know, non success basis. Yeah. They don't want to pay a whole lot for the services of you know people like us, but they're you know willing to pay for an outcome. So, um, you know, so that's how it works. You know, we do just occasionally and they're pretty short conversations, but, you know, occasionally you do get clients who say, well, oh, I just don't get it. You know, uh, I have a time-based charging model in my business. So I, I can't see how this equates to, uh, you know, to a, a sensible kind of return on your time. But of course, it's it's risk-weighted. Uh, In our case, you know, it's a risk-weighted return on on time effectively.
0: Yeah, Yeah, of course, because there's going to be times. uh, Yeah, we've we've struggled with that as well. We work on a fixed fee basis, not uh, related to the number of hours it's going to take. Um, And there's times that sometimes it takes a lot more time than we've allowed, and other times it takes a little bit less time than it takes. But uh, it's interesting from a procurement point of view, they always go, well, what's your hourly rate? And we go, well, there is no hourly rate because it's a fee for this project. Yeah. And I'm just wondering why people, you know, in something as intrinsically creating value as marketing and advertising, why it's defaulted? Do you have any thoughts on why you think they've defaulted to an hourly-based which is the same way as we buy tradesmen, uh, accountants, and some lawyers. Mind you, I, I did have a a uh, SC that was costing me about fifteen hundred an hour, but anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why it's uh, you know uh, sort of evolved in that way. I mean, it, certainly you get um, you get patches of of kind of availability of uh, you know opportunity to to to, um, you know, charge on a value-based uh, model. So I'm thinking, for instance, you know, in when paid search was, uh, you know, the next kind of new thing, um, there was, you know, there was a lot of talk. And I guess in performance media, you know, generally there was a lot of talk around um, uh, moving from overhead to, to cost of sale in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, in terms of how your client perceived the costs and, and, and unlocking... You know budgets that aren't inherently kind of limited because, you know, you're you're pursuing a kind of gross margin outcome, and yep. you know the more the the more the merrier sort of thing. Yeah, very the more much. you earn,
0: the more you've
1: got. Yeah, price, exactly. Right? So um, I guess look, if you're not, it's, it's back to what I was saying before. If if what you're selling is not a unique proposition, and there's not really fundamentally any IP that sits behind it that makes you kind of uniquely placed to deliver it and you're you're fundamentally just selling, um, you know, bundling skills of a bunch of people mm-hmm. um, and, um, and selling that as a kind of combined service offering, then if there's someone next to you who's able to do the same thing and people like that are kind of available in the market, the market is always going to push you back to you know, making a, a return on the time of the people yeah. you've got because it's a competitive. Well, it's, a, uh, yeah, it's commoditization. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it is. Exactly. If you can't
0: distinguish or differentiate yourself from your competitors. And I love the fact, you know, because we obviously meet with a lot of agencies um, and they all go, oh, yes, we're unique, we're different. And it reminds me of that scene from Life of Brian. You know, you're all different, we're all different, <laughs> shouts the crowd. Yeah. You know, they really do struggle to find a way of being distinctive, or, you know, and I think even being distinctive is more achievable than being different. It's very hard when you're an advertising agency to be different because ultimately, at the end of the day, what you're doing is creating advertising.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're ultimately all services businesses, and yeah. you know, there there may be some, there is a lot of know-how and uh, IP that you know that, that sits behind. Um, but fundamentally their services businesses. And it's the interesting, the interesting, um, you know, thing around uh, the discussion around culture is that uh, I think there would be a much bigger kind of cultural clash between a, a product business coming in to uh, acquire an agency mm. versus a sort of slightly more um, I always forget which is left side and right side, but you
0: know what I mean? Well, manufacturing versus, well, even manufacturing versus services businesses. I mean, we notice that with our clients that are consumer packaged goods and services companies. Because consumer packaged goods, while they say they're customer centric. It's actually driven by the big factory out the back. Yeah producing you know millions of items that need to be sold, whereas services is about actually interfacing directly with customers and delivering a service or experience. And that's the fundamental difference between those two, because the experience of a, of a product is I buy the product and the experience is using the product afterwards. Services is about the constant interaction between the two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I
0: think the... Um Mind the, you, I have a lot of CMOs uh, uh, disagree with me on that. By the way, they think it's the same no matter what.
1: Well, the the the, the thing around um, the FMCG world, uh, you know, for instance, on the product side, is uh, it's it's far more focused around distribution. Yeah. Um, that's the you know it's 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 you know sort of create the product and um, you know it's all about channels to you know channels to market. So. Um, and, and it, it's not fundamentally around kind of return on people's time it's yeah. not a service model um, and, and that's why it sits so differently with you know with with kind of agency type businesses so you know if, if you saw a uh, software product business you know coming into the agency space then I think you would look at that and go crikey you know I don't That 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 really does feel like like if Microsoft
0: went to buy an agency.
1: Yeah, but you know, but even then, it depends depends where it sits. Yeah, and Microsoft is
0: quite services-driven now rather than software
1: product, aren't they? Yeah. In fact, I think most software
0: companies have moved into software as a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: but it's it's still a, um, you know, there's still a a lot of uh, a good a good test on this stuff. You know, particularly in the in the tech world. Is you know how much are you spending on on uh, R and D yeah. and you know what's your what's the size of your development team and then how many people are involved in 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 kind of customer facing kind of delivery on an ongoing basis not sort of building the you know the tech product but but you know customer services and you know we we get a lot of people coming to us uh, with. Um, you know businesses that they sort of perceive to be tech businesses. Actually, mm. when you look under the bonnet, the the proportion of of you know customer services to development says it's not a tech business. Yeah, if tech you look at Microsoft. Service, yeah. It might be a, you know it's it's SaaS, but it's SAS SaaS product. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, just to change the topic, uh, you wrote, and it was probably—I'm not sure how, whether you were serious or facetious—about uh, you could see probably within five. Probably facetious. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> find out. In five years, you could see the possibility of one of the big consulting firms possibly buying a holding company outright. And I, yeah, I had that reaction of wow, that's a, that's a great prediction. But then I started looking at the relative size of some of the uh, consulting firms compared to the holding companies. Because in advertising, you're inclined to think that you know Interpublic and and uh, WPP are massive businesses, yeah. but in actual fact, they're relatively dwarfed by some of these uh, consulting firms, aren't they?
1: That's right. I mean, we we uh, we put out a, a sort of research piece uh, once a year on mergers and acquisitions in um, uh, in the advertising marketing services worlds. And a few years ago, two or three years ago, uh, our our kind of theme for the year was specifically around around that point, uh, and th- you know the title of the the piece was "When Not If," mm. uh, and then it looked at exactly that. We had a I forget the numbers but we had a bar chart um, that that went that did market capitalization or you know enterprise value of these various businesses um, uh, going from the you know Accentures and IBMs and, and so on of this world uh, you know down to the, the the agency groups and the reality is that they are dwarfed in in size mm. and, and certainly look you know we're, we're as a firm you know we're in the business of, of making deals. Happen, and you know one of the things that you you learn to look for, you know, quite early on is uh, so you've got it. You've got to kind of connect, um, you know, demand and and sort of you know buyers and sellers. There's a kind mm-hmm. of there's a broking function there, um, but you've also got to uh, connect ability to execute and and kind of liquidity, um, and so you look at that dynamic with these huge companies and you know it's going to happen that way around you know mm. if, if it happens and these industries do seem to be converging uh, you know the, the the buyers are going to be the big tech groups and, mm. and the sellers are going to be the you know the institutions who sit there in the um, in the marketing services world so I no, wasn't actually uh, uh, facetious I, 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 no, was- I absolutely uh, believe it Look, you know who knows when it will happen. Well, it's
0: interesting because uh, uh, pivotal research, Brian Brian Weiser, Weiser has yeah. just reported that uh, you know the holding companies in the US have got like ze- virtually zero organic growth at the moment. Once he removes uh, acquisition contribution to growth, and the other thing he points out is that a, their traditional history of acquisition to, to drive growth in the past has been funded through borrowing, so so their debt to equity is out of skew. Um, That makes them unattractive for investment, but very attractive for acquisition, doesn't
1: it? I I don't know whether it makes them uh, uh, attractive for... Well, you um, just pick
0: them up for their debt, basically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say there's a lot of uh, head-scratching going on at the moment at the big agency groups around... You know, we're having a. We we seem to be having a a, a bit of a kind of global upswing in terms of GDP mm. growth, uh, and traditionally you'd expect that to be kind of reflected and amplified in the marketing services groups, and it's not happening. Mm. So there's there's a, you know, a worrying kind of you know break in the in this sort of traditional link between one and the other. And I, no, I don't think anyone sort of fundamentally understands it, but we're in a we're in uncharted waters when you look at the kind of the global economic situation you know we kind of we keep thinking surely we should be having uh you know re- relatively high inflation um because we've had interest rates you know so rock bottom for so long and uh you know unemployment's um you know uh, come down significantly and you'd expect to be seeing some price inflation coming through and yet yeah, we've got a weird dynamic going mm. on that now. So I think ever since the GFC, we've been living in a very strange world, whether what's going on in the Marcoms groups is, um, you know, in some way kind of reflective of that uh, or whether it's, um, you know, re- reflective of, you know, more the kind of, the whether it's more a structural thing and, you know, a broken model, who knows, mm. you know, who knows. But it's, it's certainly giving people a lot of... Um, you know, sleepless nights, that they're not seeing the growth coming back, uh, you know, despite despite the global economy uh, picking up.
0: Yeah. No, I was just uh, reflecting on locally in the Australian market, uh, the STW group, which uh, had uh, crossover deals with WPP, ended up being acquired for basically their debt. So you know that's why it it becomes a good deal when you're just
1: picking up someone's death and you get all the assets as part of it yeah look uh I think it's situation specific but um normally um uh you know businesses like you know the big um consultancy groups normally what they want to buy is um uh you know healthy. High-performing, high-growth businesses, and to pay a, a, sort of a fair a fair price, you know, it's it's fine if you're doing it at a relatively modest scale. Obviously, SDW is a, you know, a reasonable sort of size, you know, particularly within this market. But still, for WPP overall, yeah. I guess you can afford Achoo. to take you can afford to take a view on it, but. Mm. You wouldn't really be wanting to buy one of the big six as a big consulting group if you felt they were in a bit of a death spiral. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, the, uh, that's taking on quite a, a big job alongside. Was your... it Havas
0: that just sold a significant portion?
1: Yes, to uh, Vivendi. Yeah, yeah.
0: So there you go. Maybe the time's getting closer for your prediction to come true.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe that, in a way, that's sort of uh, that's a case in point. I mean, that one's interesting because when you talk about culture, because you know that, in some ways, is the coming together of um, you know the consumer content mm. worlds, yeah. uh, and you know in a an environment, I guess, where you know TVCs um, are still very, very important as part of the mix, but you know in in long term decline, mm. uh, that's that's kind of the coming together of people and saying, look. Um, we're all in the business of making content that mm. uh, you know entertains and um, engages uh, consumers, and whether that be you know long-form TV programs uh, or whether that be sort of you know more marketing-driven sort of short-form content. Mm. That that naturally sits very very well together. Mm. Yeah, it was
0: interesting when William Morris uh, International bought into Droga5, for instance, in the US. Okay, um, I just noticed the time, but uh, you know, if there's agencies, independent agencies out there that are uh, of of a reasonable size, though, I did uh, read overnight that uh, there's rumours that PwC are looking into buying an agency that's only 19 weeks old. Uh, it's called Thinkerbell, so that's that's quite interesting. But anyway, um, if there's agencies out there that are thinking, you know, their exit strategy is to be acquired, what what advice would you give to the principals of the agency? What well, should uh, they be doing apart
1: from contacting? Yes, exactly. Of course, get, a, at, at get, at the, do, do get in touch. Darren, Darren, has my number. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I think. Um, What's really, really important is 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 to focus on, um, you know, what's going to be motivating for you as business owners um, and for your staff, uh, and you know, and what's going to uh, be perceived as a as a positive development by uh, by clients, um, and I think all of the other kind of good stuff follows. So we we're, we're always at pains to. Um, you know, tell our clients not to not to kind of drive their businesses to some sort of M and A agenda. Um, you know, people try that, and it it normally doesn't sort of end well. But it's uh, build the business that you know you'd love to own forever. Um, and if you know if you if you really believe that you're building the business that you'd love to own, then other people are going to feel the same way. Um, and uh, despite everything that I said about um, culture, and I do do think there's absolutely something in it. You, know, you need to make sure that there's going to be a, a strong a, culture. A, yeah, a good, a good, a good fit. Yeah, uh, and that doesn't mean, uh, you know, having a homogenous uh, culture. You know, mm-hmm. some some organisations do work that way, and others are far more kind of you know federalised. And uh, you know, however you however you crack it, but it's important to pay attention to that bit because otherwise, you know, things can can come up stuck.
0: Yeah, I know um, uh, businesses that uh, they've run it to make the you know to get the finances looking good for acquiring actually end up going off the rails because you don't drive the business by looking at the speedo, do you? Or you don't drive the car by looking at the speedo. You look at the road ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and looking at the fuel tank and yeah. making, making sure that you sort of uh, you know you hand it over to the next owner with not a not a drop of, uh, <laughs> of gas in the tank. Um, No, look, it's it's uh, it's really really important to almost disregard the you know the the fact that you're in a a process and um, you know and and continue to run the business in a you know in a in a kind of long term long term way and um, that's your you know that's your hedge against um, you know against. A, a deal process sort of not, you know, not producing the outcome is you still own that business, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's a very dangerous game to, you know, yeah, to to, to drive down the motorway, trying to uh, sort of only leave a drop in the tank and, you know, keep the revs at a certain level and, you know, it's, it's a yeah. dangerous game, all of that.
0: Exactly. I mean, you haven't really got your eye on uh, the business. You've got it on something completely different. Yeah. Uh, ben, thanks for your time. No, thank great, you. Great to have yeah, a chat. Fun. Uh, one last question. Um, What was the uh, Monkeys Accenture deal worth?